Welcome to ECHO, Effective Cannabis Healing Ourselves. Today we are discussing the recreational legalization in Arizona. We have a diverse panel coming in to share their ideas, their views, and concerns on Prop 207. Joining us today is Amanda from the Bud Cart and Bud Show, Donnell with the Coffee Co and the Regional Director of the National Expungement Week, Leah from Achabeth Body Products. I will start with one comment to kick us off. As we are talking legalization at the state level, to truly advance cannabis, the laws must change at the federal level. We must hold our elected officials accountable to the untruths and misrepresentations they are supporting. Make your voice heard for change that can benefit every American as well as others around the globe. Let's meet the panel and be uplifted. Welcome everyone. So one of the questions I want to know is how do you see recreational and medical cannabis differently? Donnell? I don't see a, a whole lot of difference in the plant, no matter if it's recreational or cannabis or uh, medical. The, the only thing I view very differently as education piece uh, and how it's addressed in the medical way compared to how it's addressed in the recreational way. That's my, I guess, biggest split of difference between the two is um, the education behind it and the intent behind it. So when you say you don't see much difference in the plant, you're just meaning the makeup of the plant itself. It's the same plant. Yeah, the, the limitations of the plant of possession and who should be able to have it. They say or intend to use it for, even though they might be wanting just to have that high uplifting feeling, which many of us, that's how we started smoking. And that's still a medical purpose that is still a helpful way to release a and it's not consciously using it for a medical purpose you're still using it for a medical purpose i totally agree i think that recreational is how we're going to discover uh, preventative medicine if we have the people involved and we're following it correctly uh, the one thing that is a little bit different for me is that I don't know that recre. I don't even know that medical know this, but recreational people don't really realize that they need to be honing in on specific cannabinoids and terpenes to achieve what they're trying to achieve. Um, versus where medical, I think, focuses on that just a little bit more. Probably not as much as I think they should. But uh, everybody can benefit from the plant. But if you take the wrong part of the, uh, you know, take the wrong cannabinoids and add the wrong thing, it can have an adverse effect. If you have, like, if you have anxiety, you can become more anxious. If you're depressed, you can become more depressed. So it's important to understand that maybe sharing a joint or a bong or a pipe with someone that has a different medicine or a different strain than what you have, you might not get the effect that you think you're going to get. I don't even really know that according to every bit dispensary that I visited in a recreational state, I don't think they even ask a recreational patient if what they're looking for, because I think they just ask them, what, what do you want to buy today? And I think they just buy it. I don't think there's any conversation around what the plant can do that they're buying. I've definitely never experienced it myself. I don't know if anybody else has, but it's usually, um, what do you want to grab today? Or 
if you're looking for something, they might look, ask if you're looking for something particular, but um, yeah, I've never gotten uh, the, I guess, deep dive of what to plant for or um, what kind of feeling I want to have uh, or anything in that kind of direction. I, I agree with Donnell, uh, and I think as a patient, um, not just a business owner, but as a patient in the industry, it's really hard um, even to understand the medicinal cannabis. And I do think that research is so important, um, but I do think that it needs to be done in a different way than the law that's presented at the moment. And I do think that the law that's presented, Prop 207, has a lot of good qualities, but for me, I'm just not sure that they outweigh the cons for me. Um, and I think that, you know, to, to the point, we haven't even really mastered the medical program um, and really figuring out how it is different than the recreational program and what that means for education. And again, going into a dispensary as a patient, we should have access to not just a piece of paper for education, because I get asked every single time I go into a dispensary if I want educational material but that's just gonna be a pamphlet for me to take home and read and try to decipher for myself. Um, that's not gonna be specific to anything that's related just with me. And so I really think that education is gonna be a game changer for both the medical and recreational field when they come out. And I, I also think sometimes there's things out there that um, really do hinder the education. So you have people that are against Prop 207 that are against cannabis that are kind of spreading lies about cannabis. So as much as I'm not pro Prop 207, I certainly don't like people spreading lies about cannabis as it is my medicine. That's the reason we're here, is to try to help add a little bit of information to this so that we can educate a little bit. I, uh, all of us know what it's like to be a medical patient or how to feel that uplifting feeling, as I call it. Um, there's nothing better than being uplifted and being in a safe, comfortable place with it and understanding how that's accomplished. And that's what we at Effective Cannabis are trying to do with how we help patients is that we understand their medical conditions and what they have to deal with. And we try to approach what affects their daily living the most. And then when we go through that, we, we try to address those things first. And then we begin to see other health conditions that can come in and play. And we don't get that kind of attention at the dispensary, regardless of when we go in, and whether we're medical or recreational. And my passion is that we get to the point that this is in our doctor's offices. This is in every house at the dinner table, and we're talking about it and understanding that this is medicine. This is not, it's, it's a plant, but it's one of the best plants I think we're ever going to put in our body because our body was designed for this and made for this. <laughs> I was actually snapping my fingers at oh. you because you're right on with those things. Right? I think that we have a long way to go for education, but it starts right here with us at this table right now, talking about this and sharing and learning and understanding that you can do so much better for yourself than what I think most people are accomplishing with cannabis right now. I think a lot of people aren't achieving the best goals and the best health and the best life, and it's because we're not educating them, and that's one of the things we really need to focus on. So that's a topic you'll hear a lot from all of us today that are on the panel, I do believe, that education is so important. Amanda. So I, I think that they can play together because at the end of the day, as Donnell mentioned, even if you don't realize that you're using this medicinally, I believe that you absolutely are. And so I, I don't, as much as there is a separate like 
a separate line, they are the same because it's plant medicine at the end of the day. Um, but I think there's just a lot that comes into play when you make things um, recreational and that as a, at least in Arizona, I don't think that we've even, again, kind of uh, hit the mark with the medical program. I think we're still adjusting it. I think even last year we had, um, I'm going to say a concentrate scare where patients were um, scared to purchase concentrates and other types of products from dispensaries and leave with them because they were getting pulled over and either getting in trouble or having their medicine taken from them. Um, at the same time, dispensaries were selling concentrates and edibles and other items knowing this and they weren't scared at all. So it's just the patient that always seems to uh, lose. And I, I think the big difference there is that we're going to lose the idea that this is medicine and that you have to protect the patient. I think that's one of the biggest flaws. Huge concern for me is that we have correct access to the patient having the medicine that they need. So, Leah, do you Well, I do, and it comes from a lot of different background issues. For professionals, there is no they don't have the items in place to decide if you're inappropriately under the influence or not. And so if you're a nurse, a doctor, a fireman, a 911 operator, a police officer, uh, any professional license um, situation, um, you're at risk of not only uh, being arrested or whatever, but you are also at risk of losing your livelihood forever. And um, I have come across that in my work here in Arizona. And every year I have to fill out a three page, I don't even know how many questions it is line by line, but it asks you about um, if you've broken any federal laws or if you have partaken just to have all these laws where they can take your tax money on your products and and they can take your tax money on your shop and your crop and your but then they can come at any time and confiscate your whole life um that things need to get straightened out but i don't like things as amanda said being so loose with the medical that now we're going to add recreation on to that um, that's what I'm concerned about. How do, how do they differentiate at what levels you're medicating and what levels you're partying? That's, I, we, the people that are using cannabis now and doing it successfully have a big responsibility to start showing how we are cannabis patients and how we represent ourselves is important. We live in a world where as a mom who uses cannabis, um, you are absolutely shamed and definitely know like as a younger woman in parenting, if I have cannabis out or if I'm rocking cannabis gear, I'm definitely getting side-eyed from every mother around, even if they use cannabis at home. And so I think, yeah. again, that's the, it's not, it's not just at home we need to change the conversation. It's everywhere because it starts in the home, but we have to be comfortable having those conversations with our friends, with our parents, with our brothers and sisters, you know? No. But yeah, I just think it, it's communication and we're lacking that so much in today's society. Um, and it's not going to get across in a text message, that's for sure. Yeah. I think we all have a responsibility if we're going to be in the cannabis industry to make sure that we're pushing forward that knowledge that 
we are helping to teach uh, cannabis and the importance of it and that it is something that is safe, it's not harmful, and we just bring that voice forward. So let's just all go around and share a little bit about maybe why we have a uh, disagreement with the recreation bill as it is. Donnell? Uh, with this bill, it is a very corporate, just on pretty much the established medical marijuana license holders uh, at this time. Um, with Care Leaf and Harvest donating the most to toilet this uh, Prop 7 uh, when it was the Smart and Safe Arizona. Um, I think the bill made a total of $3 million. $2 million of it was donated from Harvest. Um, and there's a reason for that. Uh, the fact that Harvest has nearly 20, if not 20 at this point, uh, medical licenses. Um, they're going to get 20 more recreational licenses if this bill passes. So every dispensary in good standing or a medical license holder in good standing will get a uh, additional adult med recreational license to match their medical license. So um, it is very going to be a very profitable thing for them, which is why uh, it is going to affect the way medical the medical products are not only produced but are handled and priced. Um, so it's it's definitely going to have a a great effect for them, but uh, as medical and just recreational patients as well, um, it's definitely going to cause a issue, whether it be supply um, or you know, price hikes um, situation, uh, and then the breakdown with the tax fund. Um, I don't know if that's in the questioning later, but that's a whole uh, other level of funding that needs to be readdressed and um, thought through a little better uh, rather than guaranteeing a hundred million dollars slush fund to police departments. So you know, there's a variety of other things that I'm sure I'll, we'll, we'll get to hear from others as well. So just the fact that you see that Harvest is going to have so many more um, dispensaries and they're going to get licenses just off the off the cuff without any real question. Is there anything that you see we can do when this bill passes to prevent that or is that something that's set in stone and we have nothing we can do? Uh, that's going to be distributed to them uh, if this bill passes no matter what unless they decide or the Arizona Dispensary Association decide that maybe a certain number of dispensaries uh, relinquish or pass on or make available certain non-licenses, which is very unlikely and uh, <laughs> be very hard-pressed and surprised, at the, surprised to see something like that. Uh, once this goes through, especially since it's a people-voted-on bill to become a proposition, everything is uh, literally going, goes, goes through the people through this whole process. So. Uh, when you have this kind of bill developed, it is very, very difficult to get anything changed uh, within it, uh, not only regarding uh, the corporations getting licenses, but 
um, such as the expungement piece in it as well that is set on a limited expungement. But once that's in, people are like, oh, we can focus on it later and make changes later. It is not that you can just make changes when it's a uh, bill that is passed in this way. Amanda? Yeah, I mean, I, I first and foremost want to say that I, I am in favor of recreational marijuana, just not 100% in favor of this law. Um, and so I, I definitely believe that it needs to be legalized. And I am hoping that come November on a federal level, it's legalized because that's really what's going to make a difference for a lot of the business owners that are small mom and pop businesses in this that might not even make it if <laughs> 207 gets passed. Um, but I, I think there are a few pros to 207 that shouldn't be overlooked, but to the, like, the fact that we can grow our own plants, I mean, that's huge. And if patients band together, maybe the corporations wouldn't have the weight hold on us that they do, but that's probably not going to happen because we know that people don't band together in the same ways that corporations are able to do and they don't have the money and the resources that they do. Um, and so I think that there's a lot of uh, negatives to this. You know, the DUI laws is very unclear to me. That's very scary. I think the DUI laws should be pretty set in stone so that people know how not to get a DUI. I mean, I, I think that's like, it sounds crazy, but a lot of people are in, you know, incarcerated right now because of cannabis DUIs or maybe it being a second DUI because maybe they had one from alcohol previously and they've stopped using alcohol, but now they use cannabis. Um, and again, I'm, I'm not necessarily in favor of getting completely medicated and then going and driving your car either. I do think that we should have boundaries. But again, I think that we need to establish those. And when we not only have an unclear DUI system now where people have to go through the alcohol process, um, but it's not really any clearer in the future. It just says that they can't test us for metabolites. Um, but considering we're going to give them a huge portion of the taxes from the recreational, how do we know that that money is not going to be used to find another way to give us DUIs? And if they can't give us ones based off our metabolites, don't we think that they would look for other ways to figure out how to see if we're impaired? And so again, I just think that that should be something that's more done on behalf of patients and not against us. Um, I also think the, as Donnell mentioned, the distribution of businesses and kind of like the monopolies that will be happening is, you know, just not okay. If you look at places like Colorado, um, who I'm pretty sure actually have a smaller number of citizens in Arizona, um, they actually have 600 dispensaries in the state of uh, Colorado. Um, and so, again, that opens the door for a lot more mom and pops and small businesses to be able to be in those playing fields. Um, and then, again, the distribution of taxes to me is just a huge negative. I don't think that any money should go to police. Um, I also think Arizona has a horrible educational system for our K through 12 and that there should have 100% been some money allocated towards that. And I don't think that it should just go to education and just be given to them. I also think that some of that should be required mandated education about cannabis. So again, I Absolutely. think we should start be changing the conversation behind cannabis where people aren't just benefiting from it um, or the sales of it without changing that conversation. Um, so again, if we're just giving money to police and we're just giving money to colleges, we're not really changing the stigma at all. And so I just think that that's a huge uh, con to it. And then I think um, there's too many gaps. And we already know, again, with the medical marijuana program, that gaps are not beneficial for patients. And that at the end of the day, it's not anyone else who pays for those gaps in the laws. It's the patients. 
and I think Donnell said it, that it takes a long time for laws to change. Um, for anyone that doesn't think it does, go go look at some of the laws that are in place and see how long they've been on the books because it, they kind of speak for themselves. Um, and so, yeah, for me, that's kind of the, the biggest thing of why I don't believe in it. I also have really looked into the expungement rates in other states where they have the same similar laws. And I, I think that that's, again, is a pro that we have that expungement opportunity available. I don't think it's available to enough people, but I also don't think that if you look at the data behind any expungement that's been done in any other state, that it actually shows any real numbers for anyone who's been expunged. So again, if you look at a state like Colorado, I want to say of thousands and thousands who have been incarcerated for cannabis, um, it's like 300 and something who've applied for the expungement. And I want to say around 70 or so that had gotten it. That's research that I had seen, and I should probably be able to quote you guys so that you know how dated or outdated that is, but it um, can't be that old because cannabis hasn't been legal that long. So Very, all of those are valid and very much a concern for everyone, I think, that's sitting here. And having fairness across the board is really important. Leah? It is. It's, it's kind of like the cigarette tax for the children's health program in Arizona, however many 20 years ago that was. I mean, really, what did they do with it? Where did it go? And um, I, yeah, the money thing is just uh, really bothering me. I think uh, the last time we talked, I had mentioned that I'd like to see more advocacy programs similar to what Donnell's doing, but also for uh, uh, people that do have problems. And then the, 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 the parenting issue with having children at home, I go in, or I did for 36 years, I worked with a lot of different cases. And um, to go into a home where something has happened and now their custody is an issue. And um, it's just very simply having a, um, a fair-minded but concerned person come in who's not a policeman who's not a CPS person, but who's knowledgeable and can say, well, let's look at what they saw and how can we remedy this? And very simply, it's not anything different than me going into a home and looking at the medications that are in the medication box, because that's one of the things I do. I go in every week, I make up the meds, they go into a lockbox. So if you have a house full of children or two or three or a baby or a two-year-old, you know being a responsible adult on your own. But we have a lot of young mothers and uh, parents, fathers, who um, they may not have had that exemplified in their life. I'd rather see an advocacy program established between the police and the the, the hospitals and the schools and whatever, that if there's a problem and it's going to have legal consequences, let's have an advocate in there, somebody that's on the person's side to help them see both sides and live in that world. And um, that's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see more of that. And I'd like to see a lot more of that money go to research strongly believe that someone that's a foster parent has every right to use cannabis or to help their children use cannabis and they can do that in a respectful and right way correct absolutely and and it, it takes pioneers we're, we're all pioneers here in a new uh 
era and uh, our voices have to be heard and it does take time and energy and you put yourself out there and you you're going to receive judgment from your colleagues and your family and your neighbors if they know and whatever and your children's friends but also um, leah not to interrupt you but if you are like someone like myself with a medical marijuana card i'm not allowed to foster through the arizona right. system and so right. that also means that those children who, because I'm open to cannabis as a solution, those children who might be able to get it through a parent like myself, who would be open to those solutions, also never has those. Yep. So that's huge. We really need it changed federally. I can't say enough. And that's, again, I mean, yes. no matter what, we're going to have state laws, but the federally passing would just make it huge. How much money is dedicated in this smart and safe bill to law enforcement but within that there is no education piece about cannabis so education on just teaching our police officers about how people that use cannabis and why they use cannabis there is no education on that so um, i was just wondering how everybody else feels do you think this is helpful or destructive for our our society if we aren't including the education about cannabis in this bill. Darnell? That's it. Um, but with a hundred million, estimated hundred million dollars plus, uh, going to, as a lot of people will say, police and fire department, but um, the, and it's going to be about, uh, by uh, employment, essentially how many uh, staff members the department has, which, uh, Combine them together, the fire department and the few, uh, police department staff, 70% of that is police department. So give a hundred million dollar fund, you're still giving $70 million to police uh, for equipment, task force, and uh, training. Now, it doesn't, again, it doesn't say anything specific about education uh, or training on how to identify or judge how somebody might be impaired. Um, it's a tricky thing because it's literally up to uh, the police officer's judgment uh, or discretion. And if he wants to, if you get pulled over, then you don't necessarily have to have a open edible or the smell of burnt marijuana or say find or assume or think you have marijuana in the car and say you happen to have, you just picked up from a dispensary and it could be in your trunk. But however, if they look at you and they suspect you might be intoxicated in the slightest degree. You can get a DUI. It is essentially completely up to their discretion since they are not implementing any way to test or um, identify uh, any with any additional training uh, the signs of impairment. So even though I've uh, we do a lot of events that people do consume at events at times and typically at events, I won't consume, but I might be around and I could be driving home, get pulled over. And it's just one of those situations where when it's left completely up to the officer's discretion, as a black man in Arizona, we have one of the highest arrest rate. Um, I don't find myself in a very confident position if I'm ever pulled over, uh, whether I've been consuming or not, or have cannabis in the car. Uh, it's not going to be a, uh, a comfortable position for me. Uh, and honestly, if I'm in that position, in my mind, I'm probably thinking I'm going to get arrested at that point.
so with the very hazy description of officer discretion, um, it doesn't offer a lot of security uh, for the citizens and it doesn't teach the officers anything about identification. Um, also with dedicating a task force, a um, marijuana task force and dedicated to equipment and training. If we are changing this to adult use and recreation in the burden of police work they have to do, but you're pushing another nearly $100 million uh, to that department, uh, it's just very contradictory to me and it doesn't really make sense. And as we said, no K through 12 funding at all, um, minus a small portion, but you have 33% going to community colleges, which again, is estimated to be well over a $100 million fund. Um, and community colleges, which are typically intolerant of marijuana, no matter if it's medical or not, as they've uh, expelled those uh, some students with uh, medical cards. So um, a very, very small percentage out of this estimated $300 million fund, you have a small percentage going back to the community, uh, which essentially needs it the most, especially these communities that have been affected by this war on drugs or have been highly harassed uh, due to marijuana laws. So you, you're essentially creating a fund for police uh, to better to, I don't know how they would word it or want to put it in, but to better serve the community, but you're not really investing anything into the community to educate and provide services um, for them. Absolutely, that's my biggest concern is that we're not educating the benefits of cannabis and how much it could be helpful to our communities. I think that cannabis has the ability to strengthen our communities and allow us to do so much better than what we're doing now. That kind of feeds into how can we make sure that cannabis is good for our communities as we've talked about this so much. Uh, because I think that we do have the ability to do great things and I actually would like to see Arizona become a model. If we really did this right. We could really become a model and then we could take that to other states and say, look at what we've done, what we've been accomplished, how we're taking care of our community we're taking care of our patients but that can only happen if we all come together so that's my my vision that's what i would like to see and i know that just takes lots of education um, to make that happen but are there any other ways that you see that recreational could be good for our communities if we have it put into place amanda yeah absolutely and and like i said i definitely do think that there are some positives i think the biggest pro would be that we do get to grow our own medicine. Again, there's tons of boundaries on that and there's still tons of, I'm gonna say worry as a patient. Like, does that mean someone's gonna be knocking down my door and counting how many plants I have because I don't ever wanna invite anyone into my home that's with law enforcement unless someone's been like murdered or something, which hopefully will never happen in my home. Uh, yeah. So like, I, I'm just, you know, for me, I don't, I think um, the idea that we can grow our own plants is definitely a positive. And I do think that if this law does pass that as much as I'm not hundred percent for it, that I will do whatever I can to be a part of making sure that there is still education behind it, um, that it is still looked at in a medicinal way. 
um, and that I'm representing this plant medicine in the best way possible that I can, even um, if it is to go recreational. And so I think that's just a big thing for me is to make sure that I'm always um, representing what I believe in for this medicine and just really trying to live that in, you know, my interactions with this, with this plant. And so, um, you know, education is definitely always key. Um, but again, I do think that needs to be done in, you know, there needs to be a rollout plan, in my crazy opinion, of cannabis education. So it needs to be like a five-year, maybe it doesn't take that long, but considering the, you know, all the years we've had against cannabis, it might take at least that long, rollout plan of how we're going to start to change the view on cannabis. And I think that comes with educational billboards, not billboards just for dispensaries, educational billboards right. that talk about, you know, that have a mom and a son and say, cannabis saved my son's life. You know, it's, it's going to take those things. It's going to take documentaries and books and it's going to take cannabis really, you know, I think stepping into a place where we've been denied um, and saying we belong here. And I think that we have started to do that in Arizona, um, at least those of us that work in the cannabis industry. You know, again, it's not easy. There are so many roadblocks. And I think just being in that space now, even in those roadblocks and trying to build bridges for the future is really, really important. And so just kudos to all of you who have been doing this for as long as you have. Um, and, you know, whether it's medicating with it or educating on it or helping other people, it all plays a part in the puzzle, in my opinion. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm right there with Amanda and it takes a lot of bravery for people because the stories that I know, I cannot tell specifically because it has to be the people who have that experience. Absolutely. Per se, a woman who is single and has a profoundly autistic child is so afraid to um, do the things that she wants to do with her child, number one, the kind of medications they want to give her child because of the fear of removing the child from her, but finding out that through topicals, um, you can really help a lot of these behaviors and encourage sleep and rest and calming and all that. But I know those stories I can't tell them because of the privacy issues, but it, it, it takes a lot of bravery. So all of us that do partake, whether it's recreational or medical, we need to stand by these people and encourage them to tell their stories and to get it out. And without fear of repercussions, and that's that's the thing that I'm always most concerned of is uh, when you participate, you know, ahead of these changes, you know, what kind of repercussions are you going to have? And um, it's, a, it's, it's a fear. It's a fear that a lot of people have. You know, and whether, rightly so. <laughs> yeah. Whether, yeah. whether you've, you've fought cancer or, or, you know, your seizures are great and you can get a job when, and how sad it is that you have to wait until you're dying and all other options fail 
before you have the opportunity to do this the way that you want to do it, just because of the vagueness of the laws and the repercussions is. Well, and we still have states that don't even have access complete at all. So I, I was naive when I started out on my journey here to educate about cannabis. And I thought everybody would want to share their story like I do. And I soon realized no one really wants to share their story. So I guess I felt that I've already had lost so much. I had nothing left to really lose it. I had gained a life that I had lost for so many years that it was just something I wanted to share. But I don't have young kids at home. So I don't have that to worry about. I don't have a job. I have so much to lose. It's really hard to step out and share your story. So that's why we do allow everybody to do it anonymously and still be able to share it. But it's something that people just don't want to step up and do. And I understand that. <laughs> this is something that's very near and dear to my heart. And that's the amount of money that's going into the health departments for education and being giving to the health departments to use from cannabis proceeds that are going to be coming off of 207, but I don't see anywhere where they're talking about how cannabis can be used for suicide, harm reduction, any of those things that plague our society today. I, uh, pain patients are being kicked off of their pain medications that they've been prescribed for years and decades because of the opiate crisis. And these are things that have to be addressed. I had such great hope that cannabis was going to be talked about more in that realm. And I, I find that that's one of my major concerns with this Prop 207 is that we have to use and utilize cannabis correctly to help those people that are struggling. I don't care what it's from, it's pain. And pain needs to be addressed. Does anyone have anything that they can share on that? I just, well, I think you said it. I mean, um, patients are definitely scared to, to share, and especially when they're mothers or they have jobs um, working in the nonprofit industry for a long time. I definitely wasn't always open and honest about the fact that I use cannabis. I didn't scream it from the rooftops until I owned my own business. Um, even in doing that, it's definitely prevented me from having opportunities, again, in, especially in the nonprofit world. Um, and at the same time, I think that that goes even further. So, um, to your point about patients not being on meds, um, at the market, you know, and I'm certainly never going to name names, but was one of my, you know, someone I would consider a friend from the cannabis industry. And she had mentioned how she basically was denied some of her prescription medication and how it flat out like broke her. And, you know, she is super honest and open about what she's going through because she really wants to help be a voice knowing that so many can't or won't or, you know, um, you know, may not be in the position to, but at the same time, like the fact that she even had to go through that is crazy. And really the only redemption in it all was her cannabis. I mean, she was able to get some of her meds, but the cannabis was really the saving factor. And so it's just, it's just crazy again, that this stigma on this plant is so negative and that we're not doing more to change it in that way. And I think that, you know, if we're giving money to the health department, there again, they should have a rollout plan of educating on the, the pros of using cannabis. And if you want to throw in some of the cons of using cannabis while you talk about the pros, I'm fine with that. They do on every single drug commercial. And I know that the cons don't anywhere equal to any of the cons that are for any pharmaceutical. So list them. 
may get cotton mouth, may get the munchies. Go ahead and list the, the cons of cannabis, you know. You may have dry eyes. Yeah, <laughs> but but you're you're not going to have diarrhea. There's not going to be a chance of dying. You know, there's all these things when I hear all the prescription things on television, it's just so hard. And again, as someone who advocates and educate about cannabis, I'm not allowed to do marketing to educate about cannabis. I'm not allowed to market and advertise about cannabis. So unless it's changed on a big, like on the, from the top down, it's never going to matter, you know, as much as I want to do it. Yeah. Well, and I mean, patients that are being denied treatment for known medical conditions and they've been, been giving an FDA approved drug. And then they're just kicked to the curb and left with nothing. I don't think anybody should be forced to do it in an unsafe way because they're going to find themselves on the street begging for help or in a hospital. We have to fix this and it comes with education and it's just something that we should all be in the streets yelling and screaming about that's happening. But because we're chronic pain patients, so few of us are seen. Most So we have to do our best in the cannabis industry now to bring a voice to this because it's important. And this is the format, the uh, uh, multiple media platforms. I'm not a big techie person. I don't have Instagram and Twitter and all of that, but um, this is the way because this gets into people's homes and they start those conversations. And um, so I, I love these, these platforms because this is gonna speak louder than words and when you're doing videos, they're going to see these old white-haired, you know, ladies and, you know, every uh, variety of situations and backgrounds that we come from. But um, what you and Donnell are doing, Donnell on the ground working with people who have had consequences of uh, these events in their lives and, and you doing your public uh, speaking is huge. I've had to wait until my uh, professional license would not be at stake. I just retired in June. The, the fear is really the biggest thing in people's everyday lives about um, the truth of all this and the healing that people can get. Um, this, the, these media platforms that everybody has, this is the answer. It really is. Well, we're not going to stop. I don't think any of us sitting at this table are going to give up. I think we all seem to be pretty determined here. So I think that's wonderful. We're going to talk about expungement now and all the rules that have been written around that in the bill. And uh, Darnell's going to speak to this to some length, I hope, here to share with us how this is working. Because I find that there seems to be some unfairness in the bill for some people and that not all people can have their records expunged. And I think it's really important that um, everybody have that opportunity because I don't believe anybody should be sitting in prison today or be arrested for something that I legally am allowed to do. Yeah, um, the, there is an expungement piece uh, involved and the prop, um, for those who don't know, Arizona does not have a true expungement um, in any way, shape, or form. Um, but this portion will allow those who have flower possessions under 2.5 ounces to have their, to apply. Let me, let me uh, restate that. It is not automated. 
um, they can apply to get their expungement, um, uh, to have their expungement for their cannabis charge. Um, also, if, in, if it was concentrate with a different level, I believe it's 12 grams, and then they have some paraphernalia pieces as well. But um, if you think about it, it is very, very limited compared to um, the sales and consumption of uh, marijuana in Arizona right now. Um, Arizona dispensaries in 2019 sold 160,000 pounds of cannabis products um, throughout about 140 dispensaries. So um, you're looking at over well over a thousand per dispensary. Um, I don't think these dispensaries have Let's see, if we break 1,000, 26,000 people to break down that uh, 2.5 or, sorry, 13,000 people to break down that 2.5 limit uh, per person if they were to get caught with it. So the fact that they're selling literally tons and tons of marijuana every year, and then we're putting a very limited cap is a very, very huge disservice. Um, and the fact that you have to apply for it um, that it is not automated. Um, if you are going to create an adult use program, you uh, first need to decriminalize and you also need to have a full automated expungement for any cannabis charges previously um, because you, you literally either, and also uh, marijuana possession is a felony uh, in the state of Arizona. Uh, one in six states, uh, and that includes paraphernalia. So uh, whether it be a seed, a paper, a pipe, uh, no matter what it is, um, you are subject to a felony charge, uh, essentially. Now, a lot of them do get pleaded down, but it's still um, a felony charge to start off with. Um, so to not allow those who have whether it be slightly higher, a little more higher, um, uh, when it comes to possession uh, and weight, uh, to have it limited to 2.5 ounces is just, um, it's, you're, you're leaving a very small drop in the bucket, uh, as they say. So it is, a, it is something that I believe should be automated um, and people shouldn't have to go through that legal court process because if you've ever been through the court processes in Arizona and dealing with expunging here for the second year in a row, um, it's, it takes a while. Uh, we have people who are going through our uh, restoration of rights and set-aside process from last year um, still waiting to get their final court date. So uh, we're talking a full year after applications uh, and everything sent in um, to even get their court date set. Um, so this could be possibly a year process, two year process. Think about how many cannabis marijuana charges Arizona has every year. Um, and oddly enough, they've had some fluctuations, but cannabis marijuana arrests have risen pretty much every year uh, in Arizona. So even with the medical program, so you're talking about a lot of time and uh, cost for those individuals, because they did not say if, even if expungement, if the process is going to be a free process or if they're going to continue to be charged these court fees at 
many of them have paid thousands of dollars or have spent time in prison or in jail. Uh, so that's time that they've lost from their lives. Um, and to continue to make them go down these processes is a, is a huge disservice and it's essentially a slap in the face um, to watch dispensary owners make millions um, doing something that many of them have spent time uh, or lost their rights for. Yeah. And if I'm correct, I think that um, they don't help them to transition back into the community well and and don't make it possible for them to transition into the cannabis community. Am I right on that? Uh, very. Uh, the reentry programs aren't very great as it is. Um, they don't even really discuss that. People do have the opportunity to have uh, set aside them the restoration of rights after they complete their sentence and their uh, debt to society but continue to be plagued and uh, disenfranchised essentially um, due to their past convictions. But um, there's no programs to teach or educate or maybe if somebody has a previous conviction when they get out, yes, to have that opportunity to work in the cannabis space. Um, with the adjustment reinvestment uh, program that they're instituting, it's supposed to help with that. Um, but you're, again, that's that small 10% from that tax fund that they're allocating um, compared to the 30% going to police, 30% going to uh, uh, community colleges. You're in the small sliver of 10% um, for justice reinvestment, but they don't necessarily have a guide or a dictation of how that will go. They, they lumped in public health, uh, community reinvestment, all in under this one little branch, but um, as many of us know who has either worked for nonprofits or learned about health at all, um, it is a very, very heavy portion that needs to be heavily funded in uh, when you're regarding medical and educational knowledge that um, people need and should be able to access. Um, but again, they have that small portion dedicated to that. Such mindsets that need to be changed. So I think it's really important that we try to figure out how we can aid in a, and help in this process as this moves forward. There's also a need to bridge the gap of even bringing our wonderful people of color to these conversations. So, I mean, even in this conversation, of course, it's amazing that Donnell is here, but even in Arizona, um, you know, the cannabis industry is very white dominated and Absolutely. white male, white male dominated, you know, really to be yeah. honest. And so it's, it definitely is going to take a bringing together of um, all people to the table to really, um, I think, make a difference on this. And, and we are still missing the mark too on educating certain communities. Um, and I might've mentioned this last time, but the Hispanic community is completely underrepresented if, non, if not represented at all, um, especially when it comes to being educated about cannabis in Arizona, uh, even though we have such a high population and also the elderly population. I mean, we're just really missing the marks on those two very specifically who are completely left out of this ball game. Um, and again, at least here in Arizona, and I just think, um, again, we need more representation at the table. Um, you know, it's, 
it's wonderful that we're women and that we're here because I think often our voices aren't heard. But again, I definitely think it's also bringing all those other voices to the space as well. So how do we do that? I mean, I'm, I'm out there vocal on, I mean, I'm in my home, but I'm out there on the internet, I'm on social media, I'm doing podcasts, trying to bring everybody in. I think everybody should be at this table. I don't think anybody should be excluded. Uh, you're doing the same thing. So how do we bring more people into this? And Donnell, you, I mean, everybody, how do we bring more people into this conversation and let's make this more of an issue and make sure people are doing what we need them to do? Um, for me, it is, we have to essentially change the system that we have right now. So you, again, I would bring up the corporations like Curly Harvest, where that own 10 plus 20 dispensaries or medical licenses. Um, and they, I don't, I haven't seen a harvest or a cure leaf produce a years, and I don't think I've ever seen that educational or community class from them. Um, maybe harvest once in their Scottsdale location. And they, actually, if I think about it, but um, we don't, those classes don't seem to be offered and especially not offered in the communities that, like I said, are greatly affected. Um, the only dispensary I know of at this moment that has been any other classes um, or providing any kind of educational knowledge is uh, Soul Flower. And as far as I know, that's only, again, been in their Scottsdale location. And it seems like it was directed toward the elderly, but when you have these, um, these dispensaries and these grows in these underrepresented areas, um, they don't seem to really care to even really get to know the community they're in or educate the community they're in. Um, so we, I, I think we, we lost a lot of chance or a good, um, yeah, I guess chance to have that education piece and have those people who want to be owners and represent uh, the communities and teach the communities. Um, once we didn't really set a cap on licenses because um, this have the, the problem that we're, for those of us who want it to be more than just about money, you lose that fact that um, you have these multi-state operators who their bottom line is their bottom line. That's all they care about is their, what, what they're bringing in cash-wise. Um, once you essentially kick out the local business, the small mom-and-pop shops, and that local authenticity, you lose what connects those communities. Um, the fact that when you talk about diversity and ownership, there's no black or brown Hispanic medical license owners in Arizona. Um, there's only one woman, possibly two, one confirmed, but two women, if you want to say two, um, who have a minority portion of ownership. Um, so we are in a spot where we didn't get the protection that we should have had or that we I would would have hoped to see uh, through the medical program and it is going to have an effect on this recreational program just because they do get those licenses so with that underrepresentation of all these minority groups and it continues to be a white male dominant thing they created this social equity licenses 
market who's been affected negatively uh, by the war on drugs uh, or whatever community they're in. Um, but again, there's no protection in that. Uh, then very well, just go to one of the other major um, corporations that we have in line already. Um, there's no restrictions for them applying for it as of yet. Uh, and they have gotten licenses in other states under the social equity program that are made to make this industry more diverse. But uh, again, when they have the money and there's no really rules to protect or um, deter them from applying for some of these additional licenses, um, we're kind of still at a loss. One thing that the bigger they get, the harder it is for us to break down these walls and make changes. And that's why I'm so against Prop 207. I'm not against recreational because, like I said, I believe it is very important for preventative medicine and us understanding it. But uh, we don't have good rules written in place before we pass something, then it's really hard to go back and change it. Once we pass something, it's really hard to change it. Yeah. And I think the other thing for, um, you know, for someone like myself, um, to create is to create spaces and so I think for me like when we have our open-air markets for example you know we really do try to be inclusive of everyone um, and really try to get the word out there so that you know all vendors and again we're small-time little markets so we're probably not quite the space that should be created for a lot of these businesses but I think again in in all of us just kind of representing what we want to see hopefully others will see that and start to create spaces and open them up as well. I've gone and spoke to numbers of dispensaries trying to engage them and trying to get them to be involved with us and understanding what medicines are needed for their patients. Just, just that little piece would be so huge for us that they would follow and want to understand what is the medication that's helping patients to improve their health because then they could actually document that and share that. And they just pretty much come right out and tell you we're in this for money. They're not in it for that. And that's really sad to me that we're at that place because it shouldn't, you know, if we didn't ever have medical marijuana, we wouldn't even be talking about recreational. And that's why I worry so much about medical getting lost in this because it is getting lost in other states that are recreational already. And I find that patients aren't able to get access to the medicines that they need. Uh, and it is important when it comes to patients. So, you know, these are things that are very concerning and we have to stay on top of and try to make sure we keep putting our voice out there on that. I'd love to know, Darnell, what do you think we can do extra as a group to try to help with this process? Anything short of this not passing uh, is the only way we can actually rebuild and re to reword the language that is on there. Um, and, and that's what we're focused on the proposition. But other than that, we, I, I'll continue to, even if it does pass, do the, um, we call National Spreadsman Week. Um, but we'll continue to do that about every quarter is going to be the goal for the next year. Short, short of not this bill not going through, there's really not much else we can do if this does happen. Uh, we rebuild if this does not go through. Can I ask a question? Oh, sorry. Sure. Go ahead. I was, um, well, I'm just assuming that if this does pass, the services of Arizona National Expungement Week, aka Set Aside, is going to be even more needed 
because then those people who may qualify for expungement might actually have a route that they can go to get some help doing it. Is that correct, Donnell? Yeah, hopefully, if, I mean, if it does pass, pass, they create some kind of pathway or uh, that it is not as tedious and as long drawn as most uh, set aside or restoration of right request, rest, restoration of right requests. Uh, um, but no matter what it is, we will definitely um, try to assist in that uh, expeditious process. I have a question. Is there some kind of social work uh, structure within the jail or do you have contacts with anyone in law enforcement or uh, attorneys that help people get this information or help you do your work or are you on your own? You have a attorney um, team. I had a different one last year, um, but I have found one to work with. They are, since they do everything pro bono and, or if it is something at a cause, uh, the program I'm with, which is National Expungement Week. Um, it's a national program across the U.S. Uh, and all the lower 48 states. Um, we had, I believe, 60 some odd uh, clinics this year. Really a good support system. And then locally, we can definitely use more assistance. Uh, Do you find that there's anybody that's receptive and open to talking to you about this at the legislative branches and in some ways there are people who seem that they are supportive of it but they're also the same ones who are uh in favor of prop 207 they're like oh yeah we have this expungement piece and in the proposition like no it, you have an expungement piece but it is a not a sufficient expungement piece uh, in any way shape or form uh, there are very few uh people at the uh, local and state legislative uh, level that I've gotten to talk to. Um, but, I mean, if you take the uh, district attorney, uh, American district attorney, they literally told me uh, that I shouldn't, last year told me that I shouldn't uh, host my clinic and that uh, I should refer uh, pretty much all the people that we get for our clinic to them, uh, which they have, a, they have a similar type program every quarter um, which I didn't know before I uh, started being the uh, regional uh, director for National Expansion Week, but they have one every quarter, but um, they don't really, they essentially just tell people that, oh yeah, you can get your rights set aside, or they don't actually help them with the process. They literally just give them the paperwork and tell them what it is, and that's it. I don't seem there's a whole lot of interest at all. Well, I think we've had an uh, amazing conversation tonight and a round table. I think we've given everybody a little bit to something to think about and how we can contribute and continue to contribute in our community. Um, first and foremost, we need safe communities. Everybody having improved health and living a quality of life that's worth living is so important. Everyone is uplifted. Thank you. Echo Podcast is provided by EffectiveCannabis.com. They do not grow, produce, or sell products. They study them to learn and teach effective cannabinoids, medicine style. Learn how to be uplifted.